0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. It's page 995 in the few Bibles, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, beginning a series of studies in 2 Timothy, today looking at verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of God. and self-control. Let's pray. Our Father, as we study your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would teach us. We pray, Father, that in the very contemplation of these words, we would worship you, and we pray that you would feed our souls on the word of God, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. When someone is speaking to us their dying words. We pay careful attention. Or when someone we know passes away, we tend to think, what was the last conversation we had? What what did I say to them? What did they say to me? Conversely, think about if you were on the verge of dying yourself and knew you had only a short time What would you say to your husband? What would you say to your wife? What would you say to your children? Children, what would you say to your parents if you knew you were passing shortly from this world and didn't have the lifetime ahead of you that you thought you might have to say things to your parents that you wanted to say? What would you say? That's, in effect, what we have here in 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul's final words at least written, uh, that we have here in the scriptures. They were written to Timothy, uh, as Paul describes him here, my beloved child, not literally his child, of course, but his child in the faith. Uh, Timothy uh, was, as far as we can discern from the scriptures, a resident of Lystra, uh, apparently converted to Christ on Paul's first missionary journey there in Asia Minor, and uh, more involved with Paul later on Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, more on that in just a minute. Uh, but it, it describes him here as his child in the faith, his beloved child. And so as we look at these words written to someone who was dear to Paul, we have what some have described as Paul's last will and testament. In effect, commending to Timothy Paul's ministry, as Paul is in a Roman prison uh, awaiting uh, execution, Knowing his time, at least as far as he can tell at the moment, is not long in this world. If Paul were not going to be around much longer, what would he say? Well, that's what we have here in this letter we know as Second Timothy. Now, as he writes to Timothy, we recognize it as his last letter. We also recognize it as a very personal letter. It's written not to a church, but to one man, a man who's very dear to Paul. Uh, We think of 2 Corinthians, for example, being a more personal letter of Paul, and it is. Uh, As Paul defends his call, his authority, his apostleship, uh, and expresses his frustration with the reception the church in Corinth had had given to him, and uh, bears much of his soul in 2 Corinthians. But in 2 Timothy, we have Paul effectively saying just to one person who's very dear to him what he would say before he passes from this world. So it's, a, it's his last letter here in the scriptures. It's also his most personal letter. And the letter reflects the regard, the affection that he has for Timothy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 4.17, he refers to Timothy as my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Now, 1 Timothy... Uh, we know that Timothy was pastor of the church in Ephesus. Not quite as certain of that by the time he writes Second Timothy. That could still be the case, or Timothy may have moved into more of an at-large ministry in Asia Minor. Uh, but what we do know is from both these letters, and certainly from the circumstances of Ephesus, that Timothy had struggles uh, with that church. He had his difficulties uh, in his life, and, and with that ministry in Ephesians, and in Ephesus. And Paul writes these things to encourage him, to equip him, to strengthen him. And we're glad he did, because much of what we know in terms of church order, for example, 1 Timothy 3, uh, the qualifications for elder and deacon, Titus 1, come about because of these letters. And Paul recognizes his need to encourage Timothy, his struggles, even discouragement. But he also recognizes Timothy's strength. And we don't want to overplay or overstate Timothy's struggles. This is a very capable man. Uh, He would not have had the kind of ministry and would not have had the confidence of Paul if he wasn't. But nevertheless, he certainly had his struggles. He also had his strengths. He had things going for him. And Paul begins 2 Timothy, begins this letter by talking about some of those things in Timothy that were his assets, that he really had going for him. Uh, In other words, he starts with the good news uh, as he begins writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy, of course, was a historical person. He was in a unique place at a unique time. We don't want to just say, well, we're Timothy. We're not. But it's also true that the very things that Paul encourages Timothy with are things that maybe not in the exact same way, but generally are true of us things that we as believers have going for us as well. Whatever else we don't have, we do have these things. And so as we look at these things, um, we will look at them in terms of how they apply to our lives. Some of the same things that Timothy had going for him that Paul encourages him with are some of the very same things that in a more general sense, particulars of our own lives, are true of us. Well, what are they? Well, let's look at these things that Paul talks about here as he writes to Timothy. Timothy. Uh, one of the things that Timothy had going for him was prayer. Not his own prayer, but the prayer of someone else, the prayer of Paul. And so, in a general sense, one of the things that we as believers have going for us is prayer as well. We'll look at that in a minute, but let's look at, first of all, what Paul says about Timothy here. Uh, he's got prayer, the prayer of the Apostle Paul going for him. Now, that, Paul, that prayer of Paul's includes thanksgiving. I thank God. He says, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as he remembers Timothy. Uh, obviously, we talked about before, key element of prayer is, is thanksgiving. You see, uh, we, in the men's Bible study, studying Ephesians, uh, Paul's thanksgiving to God uh, when he prays for those for whom he prays. But he says, I thank God whom I serve. As did my ancestors. Now, I had to admit, when I saw the word ancestors, I thought, is this fathers? And the ESV just doesn't want to go there. Now, the ESV is not into gender neutral, uh, unless the text itself is, unless it specifically refers to men or people generally. Well, look, and the ESV is dead on. The word here is not the word for fathers uh, as ancestors, but it is the word for forebears, Ancestors. Uh, but Paul is saying, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Now, if you if you study Paul's life in Acts, if you study his, his words and his letters, you'll recognize that that expression, his conscience, his clear conscience, uh, occurs a lot. It's very important to Paul. Various places you find in Acts, uh, in, in his letters where he refers to that, including to Timothy. Uh, perhaps the most notable is uh, in Acts 24 where Paul is before Felix, and he says, I I strive to keep my conscience clear uh, before both God and man. Clear doctrinally, clear morally, uh, clear in every way. And we talked about that before, what a blessing a clear conscience is in the Christian life and in serving. So there's Thanksgiving uh, with a clear conscience not only is that in his prayer, there's also consistency, as I remember you constantly in my prayers. Uh, not that Paul's always at all times praying for Timothy, but he prays regularly for Timothy. Uh, Paul says, pray without ceasing. He doesn't mean that's all we do, all we ever do, but that prayer is interwoven in our lives. It's a part of our life. So there's thanksgiving. There is constancy here and consistency in his praying, and there's also this note, of, tremendous note of affection Uh, there in verse 4, as I remember your tears. What tears? Why? Why was Timothy in tears? Well, we don't know. Uh, It may just be at a parting, Paul leaving. Uh, It might be in frustration or disappointment uh, with things going on, opposition in Ephesus. We don't know. But Paul... um, on the one hand, uh, recognizes Timothy's tears. It tells us the closeness that Timothy was in tears before Paul, whatever the, the difficulty uh, or heartache might have been. But as Paul thinks of his son in the faith and his tears, he says, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Interestingly, he didn't say, so Timothy would be filled with joy. He said, so I would be filled with joy. There's a great note of affection, desire to see Timothy, a love for that relationship, a love for that man. Now, Whatever else Timothy may or may not have had going for him, he had the prayers of this faithful servant of the Lord. Now, you and I may not have the Apostle Paul praying for us, but I want to ask you, do you have that going for you? Is there somebody or other people who are praying for you? That's kind of a weird application because it's not what you are to do. It's what someone else may be doing for you. Well, let's talk about that just a minute. Uh, Husbands and wives, obviously you should be praying for one another. Uh, you should be counting on the fact that your husband or your wife is praying for you, is lifting you up before the Lord, praying for you generally, uh, for your growth in grace, uh, for leading, praying for you specifically in decisions or your walk with the Lord or sins you're struggling with or whatever it might be. Uh, parents, praying for your children. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a privilege and an obligation we have as covenant parents to pray for our children. Part of raising them and the nurture and admonition of the Lord is that we pray for them. Children, you should be able to live confidently that your parents pray for you, pray for your health, pray for your future husband or wife, pray for your education, pray for your vocation. That is what God calls you to do with your life. Uh, but children, at the same time, uh, do you pray for your parents? Talk about parents praying for their children. Uh, can, can parents know that their children are praying for them? Uh, Maybe you don't. Maybe your children have never thought about the need to pray for your parents. that they would be good parents. You think about it. If God answers that prayer, that's a help to you. That's a blessing to you. Um, for me, I've often asked for your prayers for me and, and, and for our elders and for our deacons or for the Sunday school teacher. We pray before well, session meetings, our prayer time on Sunday nights. Um, that's not just a form to go through. That's a real need. Uh, and pray for me. This is, this is God blesses my study, my preparation, my preaching. He blesses you. We say, well, I'm single uh, or my family's gone. I don't have anybody to pray for me. Well, let me assure you this. I pray through the role of this church. If no one else is praying for you, I am praying for you and praying some of those same kinds of things that Paul prays for the church in, uh, in Ephesians, the strength of the Holy Spirit, indwelling of Christ, the love to, to know the love of Christ, to be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, I may not be the only one, but I can assure you that I'm at least one who is praying for you if you are on the roll of this church or even a regular attender of this church. And I know elders, uh, you're assigned a shepherding elder, and I hope they're praying for you, but I assure you that I am. Whatever else we may not have going for us, we do have this. The prayers of the body of Christ lifting one another up. And we need to do that and do that more and be more intentional about that. So that's one thing Timothy had going for him that Paul reminds him of. I pray for you. I remember you before the Lord constantly. Second thing, thing that Timothy had going for him, uh, if that's from others, this is from within, and that's his faith in Christ. Look at verse 5. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. When Paul prays for Timothy, when he thinks about Timothy, he thinks about the faith that this man has. And it's faith that actually occurs in the context of a covenant family. He refers to his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. Actually, we have some background here in Acts chapter 16, uh, some background on Timothy. This is uh, during Paul's second missionary journey. He and Barnabas have parted company. Uh, Barnabas takes Mark, and Paul chooses Silas, and they set out in different directions. Uh, And we read in chapter 16, as Paul is traveling back, visiting some of those places he visited on his first journey, now on his second journey, 16 verse 1 of the book of Acts, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy's father, Greek Gentile, his mother is a a Jew. Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek, apparently had not allowed that right, uh, that covenant sign to be applied, to Timothy. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, we read about that in Acts 15. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. So here's this man, he has this believing grandmother, uh, father uh, or mother and he himself is a believer, covenant covenant uh, family there, and this faith, it's a, it's a personal faith. Notice what he says in in verse Five, this faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, now in your mother, now I am confident. We tend to hear I'm sure. That's um, sort of saying, well, I really think it's true that the sense is more I'm confident or I know for a fact, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. Uh, Timothy was part of a covenant family, but he had reached a point where he wasn't just uh, being a Christian because his parents were because his mother was, or whatever the case, or you know, faithful Jew, whatever it might have been. But this faith was in him. And it's extremely important, uh, children, young people, that as you grow older, that you're standing more on your own faith. The faith of your parents dwells in you, uh, which means you desire to be here in church. You know, you're, you're not here just because your parents bring you here, although they should, uh, but increasingly their faith is a real faith, a personal faith in your own heart as well. And he says it's a sincere faith. Uh, the word means, uh, literally means, without hypocrisy. Genuine, real, sincere. Uh, this is a guy who loves the Lord. This is a genuine trust, genuine faith in Christ, which itself is the work of God's grace. And so that's what he's talking about here, that he has that going for him well. He's the real deal. And that should be true of us. Whatever else we may not have, We have going for us the prayers of God's people. We have going for us the fact that God has done a work in our hearts whereby we have seen our sinfulness, we've seen God's holiness, our need to repent, we've seen God's provision in Christ, both of payment for our sins through his death and also the provision of that perfect righteousness without which we won't see God, without which we're unacceptable to God. And so we're trusting in Jesus. That's a work of God's grace. Uh, whatever else you may not have, if you're a Christian, you have that. You have that work of God's grace, that, that personal, sincere faith in your heart. So that's two things he's got going from. From others, he's got prayer. Uh, he's got from within that faith that God has given to him to trust in Christ uh, and coming in this case out of a covenant family, Uh That may not be the case with you. It may be that you're the grandmother. It may be that you're the mother uh, who is the the believing parent who gives rise to a new covenant line uh, of God's work. But the third thing he's got going for him, and we do too, and this comes from above. Prayer comes from others. The faith is given by God, but comes from within, grows from within. But from above, God has also given a gift. And we see this in verses 6 through 7. He says, for this reason... Because he is this believer in Christ, he says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now, what is this gift? Some have suggested, because of verse 7, a reference to the spirit or a spirit, that the gift was the Holy Spirit. Well, that's true. If you are a believer The Bible says God gives you His Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing that inheritance that He has for you. Kind of a down payment on what God has for you. That's possible. That could be what it is. It also, though, seems more likely to me that He's referring to either the gift of Timothy's ministry to which God had called him, or together with it, spiritual gifts or a spiritual gift for carrying out that ministry. Now. The spiritual gift um, isn't necessarily the same thing as a natural ability, although they may, may overlap. But it may be some ability that God has given you that you see Him specifically use in the church to the blessing of others, to the building up of the church. Um, it might be teaching. You may think, well, you know, I, I just struggle with teaching. I don't feel like I'm a very good teacher. I work at it, maybe I've made some improvement. But other people say, you know, when you teach, it really blesses me. It helps me understand the Bible. I really feel like I've grown listening to you teach, being in your class. You think, wow, how did that happen? Um, It may be that you have this ability, and, and even out of proportion to it, God has chosen that that is your gift, and he's going to bless others through your exercise of that gift. That's an exciting and a humbling thing. Or it may be serving. Uh, Some people have a real gift for seeing needs and knowing ways to meet needs in a compassionate way, in a helpful way that really results in blessing for people, and it doesn't make them feel awkward. Maybe that God is using an ability in a way that blesses the church and builds up the body. Well, whatever this gift is, Paul says it was given to you uh, through the laying on of my hands. But notice, although it's there, he has to fan it into flames. You don't neglect the gift. You don't ignore the gift. You don't set it aside. It needs to be cultivated it, like a like a like a, an ember. It needs to be fanned, encouraged, strengthened, developed, used in order to uh, render as much service to the church as it possibly can. Now, the best way to find out your spiritual gift isn't just to sit there and sort of wait for God to send you an email uh, surveys, as I've said, can be helpful in kind of pointing you in some right directions. You know, your interests, areas where you'd want to serve. Uh, one of the questions the session asks uh, when people join is, what areas of the church or its ministry would you want to be involved in? And very often, our spiritual gifts line up with our interests. Uh, sometimes we find our spiritual gift when a need arises, and we think, well, I don't know if I'm the best best person for it, but maybe I could could fill in at least for a while, and you discover that God uses you tremendously in that way. Uh, or maybe you just discover in the course of things that God is, is blessing some particular aspect or activity of your life. And so you, you tend to find out your spiritual gift more through the activity and through the doing than just sort of speculating in an abstract way. What does God bless? What does he use? What do you enjoy doing that seems to, to be a blessing to others? But it needs to be used. It needs to be cultivated, as Paul says, fanned into flame. Now, verse seven, Paul ends talking about that not by talking to Timothy, but us, and this is very general. Uh, he, this this applies to all believers very clearly. God gave us, I think, not just Paul and Timothy, but us believers, a spirit. Uh, and as you probably know, in Greek, there's no capital letters: a spirit or the spirit. Um, it's not entirely clear if you look at, at it in Greek. The ESV goes with a spirit, uh, but certainly this does come from the spirit. Uh, not a fear. Not a fear. The word there is the word for cowardice. It's not like it's not the word phobia comes from in English, which is the normal word in Greek for fear. Uh, it's a word that refers to cowardice, especially cowardice in battle, turning and running. It's sort of a pejorative term in that sense. God didn't give us a spirit of cowardice. Oh, no, I'm afraid to step out in faith and do this. No, I'm afraid I would I would fail. I would look bad. Whatever. That's cowardice. Um, he didn't give us a spirit of that. But rather, he says, of power, of love, self-control. Power. Uh, power of the Holy Spirit within us. Power of the resurrected Christ. Remember Philippians 3. Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. What does he mean? He he means that just as I've died and raised a new life in Christ, I want the power of that risen Christ in me, the new life that's in me, to show forth in my life, in my service to Christ and to his people. A power of love. Uh, Love is is a hallmark of the Christian. That is, Christ has loved us, gave himself for us, we show that same love to others, that same sacrificial love to others, and he says of self-control, kind of a broad word as the the sense of of prudence or moderation or discretion or self-discipline, and those things are true should be true of the believer as well, power of Christ, the love of Christ, and this this moderation and self-control that uh, that goes along with being filled with the spirit and being. Uh, one of Christ's own. You know, 19th century Episcopalian bishop Phillips, Philip Brooks, Phillips Brooks, uh, he's probably best known to us for uh, writing "A Little Town of Bethlehem. He wrote, It is almost as presumptuous to think you can do nothing as to think you can do everything. I doubt too many of us think we can do everything, but uh, how many of you really think you can do nothing? You think you just. Don't have a whole lot going for you. Well, you know, Timothy may have been discouraged. Maybe he felt like he could do nothing at this point. Paul really seems to be trying to pick him up. And it's true he couldn't do everything. But he did have those things he could do. because He had a lot that was going for him. And that's true for us. If you're a Christian, you have a lot going for you. You have the prayers of God's people going for you. You have faith in Christ that God himself has put there within you. And you have a gift or spiritual gifts that God has given to you and uh, wants to use you in the community. Either believers or representing believers out out in the world, wherever it might be. So if that's even the very least, you have a lot. You have a lot. And so with it, serve God boldly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for Timothy and for Paul and, Father, their relationship that prompted this letter. Father, as we study these passages in the weeks ahead, Lord willing, we pray that you will uh, continue to teach us, that you would instruct us and lead us into a deeper knowledge of your truth, but, Lord, more importantly, into a deeper knowledge of you and a closer walk with you. Father, we pray. Uh, that with these resources and, Lord, many others that you have given to us, that we would be effective and faithful believers and an effective and faithful church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.